0: Okay, everybody's getting their coffee. Go ahead and do that, please. Brother Dan, pass out our papers. So we are... We are still going through our New Believer's Guide to Effective Christian Living book. Please continue to do that. We're going to be in John 15 today. You turn your Bibles to John 15. So I will explain briefly kind of a, a, we're going to shift our approach a little bit with our little booklet. I love the details especially of doctrine. I love to dive down deep where there's no sunlight. How many guys are like that? I do. I love it. Right. I want to understand the definition of every word. I want to know how each definition of every word fits into the big picture. I want to look at every scripture that connects with every scripture and how it all works together. Right? The problem is, if we did that with every Bible study, we would, it would take, it would take like one year per chapter. Okay, so that's my inclination. So, there's a new, a new plan. (laughs) A new plan. We're going to do a little combo thing. I'm not going to teach through each and every chapter completely because it's taking too long, okay? So read the chapter in your little book. What I'm going to do is I'm going to take three lessons from each chapter, and we're just going to hit the lesson, right? Does that make sense? So right now we're on chapter three, if you're curious. I, I didn't finish chapter two. I can't. I won't. For example, last last week we talked about faith is not seeing, and that's one point in a six-point outline. This is the way my mind works, right? We need to talk about faith. And so I'm going to allow the Lord to lead me as to what to focus on. And again, this is his church, not mine. I'm thinking let's do three lessons per chapter, and then we'll move on to the next chapter just to let you know. Okay. So this chapter is called getting to know Jesus through Bible study. And uh, there's a lot of ground that's covered in this chapter. Um, It's it's good stuff. So what we're going to talk about today, according to our little outline, friends with Jesus, it is talking about, really, it's talking about our attitude when we come to him in Bible study, right? I mean, if we want to think about how are we coming to learn about Jesus, right, when we're coming to read, when we're coming to a Bible study like we're having right now, what should our attitude be? Some some people have this attitude uh, where, you know, God's really, really far away and, he's not really that close to them. And so he, you know, he's supposed to be worshiped in rituals. Well, that's not what God teaches us in his word, especially in the New Testament. Right. Um, And so other people kind of have this, you know, this idea of all me and Jesus are friends and I can pretty much act however I want to act. And Jesus is cool with it because we're friends. Right. Um, And so we're just going to take a moment and look at today. What does it mean when we're friends with Jesus and how do we do that? Really what we're talking about is having a relationship with him, right? We, we say oftentimes in gospel-preaching churches, Bible-preaching churches, it's not a religion. It's a relationship. Well, what kind of a relationship? The Bible describes many different relationships that we have with Jesus as saved but the one we're going to focus on today is Jesus called his disciples and here at the very end of his life uh in John chapter 15 it's it's just moments before he's arrested moments before his trials moments before he's crucified and he's kind of describing how he wants them to to think of them and so we'll look at John 15 and it says in verse one, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it that it may bring forth more fruit. Now, ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine. You're the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. All right, let's stop there. We'll pray. We'll continue our lesson. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word. Pray that you would teach us how to abide with you, to walk in the spirit. I pray that you would teach us how to have a better relationship with you. Jesus name I pray. Amen. It's talking about abiding in Christ. When the scripture is talking about abiding in Christ and walking in the spirit, it's talking about the same thing. Okay. Um, we are. We're talking about being a friend of Christ. Okay. Uh, we can see here we're having a relationship with the word of God, it says in verse three, now you're clean through the word, which I've spoken unto you. Uh, again, we cannot we cannot divide abiding in Christ with being a friend of Christ. We're talking about being friends with Jesus. Again, it's not this world's version of love or this world's version of friendship where you can be completely whoever you want to be and all be whoever I want to be. And we're going to be totally OK with each other. And we're just going to hang out and we're going to be friends. OK, that is not what it's talking about. And so we can see if we're going to be friends with Jesus, it says. In verse number 14. Is where he begins talking about friends, actually, in verse 13, it says verse 13, greater love hath no man than this, that a man laid down his life. For his friends. Ye are my friends. If. (laughs) Notice that there's an if. You're my friends. If. Ye do whatsoever I command you. Now notice in verse number 13. Jesus is saying. I'm going to lay down my life. Because I look at you as a friend. Right. Is that what it says in verse 13. Greater love hath no man than this. That man lay down his life for his friends. So Jesus is looking at us like, "Hey, I'm looking at you as a friend. I'm not looking at you as an angry person. I'm not looking at you at this angry God that has to be appeased. God was appeased. The Father was appeased on the cro- uh, when Jesus died on the cross. Okay. Our behavior does not appease God. Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross appeased the Father. All right. So because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, now Jesus says you're my friends. I'm laying down my life and I'm looking at you as a friend. Uh the word friend here is the same word that we when we go and we talk about the word's love in the Greek language, right? The two that we generally focus on phileo, right? This love of a friend the the that one friend has to another, an affection, right? And then you have agape love, which is that self-sacrificing God-like love, right, where it's, I'm sacrificing for you, and we'll read about that in the next sermon, in the, in the next lesson, in the next hour, 1 Corinthians 13, this sacrificial type love. So when it's talking in verse number 14, you're my friends, he's he's talking about this phileo love. He likes us. What an amazing thing that the Son of God came and died for us and died for our sin, and you didn't do it grudgingly. If Jesus tells us not to give grudgingly or out of necessity, but that God loves a cheerful giver, he is the greatest example of that. So when he's looking at us and he died on the cross, he wanted to please the father. But he wanted. Guys, he wanted to have a relationship with us. Wow. Wow. If you think back in your mind. If we take a moment and go back to, <clears throat> we won't take a lot of time, but Genesis chapter number three is talking about, this is after the fall of Adam and Eve in sin, but it describes the way Adam and Eve had a relationship with God before they sinned, right? And it says in Genesis three, and verse number eight, and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord called unto Adam and said unto him, where art thou? And of course the, the story goes on there. But the, the point of the, the point is, is that God had a relationship with Adam and Eve. He met with them and walked with them. Okay, um, we went to Wonderland yesterday. How many of you guys have been to Wonderland? You know, pray for us. Man, the sun came out. And we went on some of those big rides. Screamed. I heard Dan scream. Dan was my riding buddy. It was in English, too. I could understand every word. You probably should repent for some of the things. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It is, it is enjoyable to do things with people that you like to be around, to have friends. And it's interesting that when God created us as human beings, He wants to be with us. Foundationally, when we look at Christianity, it's because he wants to be with us, it says in first John, his commandments are not grievous. When he tells us to do something, why is he telling us to do that? Because it's best for us and because he wants to be with us. He says, first of all, you're my friends. If you do what I tell you to do, if you walk in my commandments, you think, well, that sounds a bit harsh. Why can't you just be my friend anyway? Well, let's slow down a little bit and think about that just for a moment. Don't we do the same thing with one another? When we meet someone new, we typically say, do we have anything in common? We typically say, look, if I meet somebody and they are doing something or saying something or their behavior is highly offensive to me, I'm probably not going to be great friends with them. Oh, Jesus is the same way. Number one, true friends of Jesus obey him. True friends of Jesus obey him. John 15 and verse 14. You're my friends. If you do whatsoever, I command you. Uh, John, if you flip over John 14, John 14 and look at verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. Okay, back up. (laughs) Back up a little bit in verse 13 and 14. Whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. That's a big prayer promise. Okay, but we have to remember in context, it's not a standalone promise. We can't just take that out of Scripture and say, okay. I've got this prayer promise, he says. If I ask anything, he'll do it for me. Uh, don't, don't skip verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. We will find that we will have a lot more prayers answered if we are praying from a position of loving Jesus. We'll have a lot more prayers answered if we're praying from a position of having walked with him and wanting to please him. Does that make sense? Um All of this is describing abiding in Christ, walking in the spirit. You're my friends if you do whatsoever I have command you. If a person says that he or she is your friend, but then you hear them talk about you behind your back, or you tell them a secret and they spread it around, or he spreads outright lies about you, when you confront him, he admits it with a teary apology. And in his attempt to compensate for the wrongs he has done you, they may go out and buy you an expensive gift. Then he repeats the whole process again and again, hurting you and then bringing you even more costly gifts to try to somehow make up for it. A pattern develops and you soon find this becomes offensive. Don't tell me that you're my friend and you care about me if you're doing things that hurt me. Your actions, your behavior, betrayal of trust, so on and so forth. Don't think you can buy my heart back because of gifts. right? Stereotypically, sometimes men will do this to their wife or girlfriend. right? They'll do something really, really stupid, say something really dumb. And then the girl is hurt, her feelings are hurt, and rightfully so, and they run out and get the whole roses and chocolates, and then the next time it has to be jewelry, and the next time it has to be a convertible, and the next time it has to be a house. Yeah, Monsieur Yadit's like, okay, yeah, tell me where this guy is, I'll do that. Okay? That's what we're talking about in a relationship with Jesus. After all, it's not the stuff of the person you want, but the genuine and continual friendship. In the same way, many people will fail the Lord on a constant basis and then try to compensate with some great act like giving a large financial gift to the church. Let's take a moment and look at 1 Samuel 15, 22. 1 Samuel 15, 22. Coming right back to John, 1 Samuel 15:22. This is a story of the first king of Israel, King Saul. He was told to go and destroy the enemy and their livestock. But Saul could not bring himself to completely obey the Lord. He decided to keep some of the loot and livestock for himself and for his army. And he didn't even acknowledge his disobedience. He was confronted by the prophet Samuel. And Saul lamely explained that the army had saved all the animals in order to sacrifice them to God. Samuel was not impressed. More significantly, God was not impressed. Samuel explained that God wants obedience more than our sacrifices that's what we find in first samuel 15 and verse number let's back up a little bit in verse number 18 and the lord sent thee on a journey and said go and utterly destroy the sinners the amalekites and fight against them until they be consumed Wherefore, then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil and its evil in the sight of the Lord? Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord sent me. And I brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites, but the people, all oh, here he goes, right? What He's beginning to blame. Now, who's the king? Who was the guy in charge? He was. Right? He's saying, no, 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 I did everything. I did it all. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen. Isn't it interesting that we, would, when we're talking about our friendship with Jesus or our relationship with Jesus, how quickly we start to blame on it? It's, it's interesting sometimes in, in, in our church where we have a lot of Bible studies with discussions in them. We start talking about something and then somebody's like, well, at the last church I was at. How often does that come up? I'm not not what I should be for the Lord because of the last church I was at. And this person hurt me and that person hurt me. It's like, we get hurt in church. That's not an excuse to not follow the Lord. Right? Because we're following the Lord, we're not following them. We, we all have stories. I'm looking at people that all have a church background. It's so easy for our relationship with the Lord to really, really not be what it should be. Because of something that happened in the past. My hand is up. Oh, pastor, tell us your stories. I, I will not. But we all have stories. If you, if you, if you go to church for any length of time, as in like a month, honestly, let's be honest. Why? Well, because we go to church with sinners. Sinner Baptist Church is what they should all be called. But honestly, that's why we call it Grace Baptist Church or Faith Baptist Church or Sparrow Baptist Church, because we're trying to focus on the fact that we're not. We're sinners, but we're trying to focus on the fact that he's not. Well, I was hurt so bad. And it's like, well, this person, this pastor, this leader, my parent, uh, whatever. So we can see here that he's blaming. Blaming does not help us in our relationship. His relationship with God was severely suffering big time. And he's like, no, 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 I am awesome, is what he's, <laughs> don't we say that? I am, I am, am, I am an amazing Christian, and I see all things clearly. But the people. Says the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. Samuel said, hath the Lord his great delight in burnt offerings at, and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord, First Samuel fifteen twenty two. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken. What does hearken mean? It means to listen. It means to listen. Look, if we're gonna have a relationship with Jesus, we're gonna have to listen to Him. Is that right? Is that how that works? Yeah. To hearken than the fat of lambs. Look at verse twenty three for rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. Rebellion. He's t- who's, he's talking to, to, to Saul. He's saying for you to choose what is good, for you to choose what to obey, for you to choose how your relationship with the Lord is going to be, instead of just simply saying true friends of Jesus obey him, and obviously connecting it to the New Testament. He's saying it, look, if we're really going to be friends with God, if we're really going to follow him, we can't pick and choose what we obey. Is that what he's saying? that what he's saying. Oh, that's rough, but it's true. You think, well, I don't know. I don't know. That just sounds really hard. Again, we do that with our own friends. Right. There's a certain degree where it's like, OK, I can live with that. OK, I can live with that. OK, I can live with that. But then there's something where it's just like, Mm-mm, I'm going to have to take a step back because that that is not OK. We all have limits. Well, God has limits, too. God has limits, too. Is he doing this to for our own best interest? Yeah, it's in our best interest. But really, he's God. He has the right to tell us what to do. But again, he doesn't come at us specifically in the context of what we're talking about. In the position of I am God, I have the right to tell you what to do, unbelievably he's coming to us and say, Hey, let's be friends. Wow. Wow. Rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness, oof. Stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Notice it's tied. Notice this this connection. This is the kind of stuff that I just love. You see the connection in First Samuel 15, where he's talking about the way that you treat the word of God is the way you treat the Lord. You guys see that? You see that right here? Look, verse 23. Once again, rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as for iniquity and idolatry, because thou has rejected the word of the Lord. He hath also rejected thee from being king. Saying, Saul, you rejected my word. If God says, if you reject my word, you reject me. Now, here is where things get really strange, is when we as human beings say, no, no, me and God are really awesome, but those couple of things in his word, yeah, I don't, no, I, I just believe a little different. Uh, excuse me? That's not stubbornness. That's not idolatry. Who who is the idol in this case? Who is Saul worshiping? Himself. I'm deciding. If we're going to have a relationship with Jesus, we have to get back to the place where, look, he decides. It's his word over mine. If you have a really good friend and something happens... And then they say something like, oh, no, this is the way it happened. It's like, OK, well, maybe I saw it wrong. Maybe I didn't quite understand everything that was said, or maybe I, I was so far away, I didn't quite. It's like you, you trust them and you're like, no, 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 whatever they said, that's what happened. Right. And yet when it comes to our relationship with God, it's like, no, 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 no. I am 100 percent right all the time. And God, you know, he's right, but I'm more Right. Right. God wants you to obey Him after all He died for you. Is this too much to ask? Okay, back to John 15. Number two, true friends obey, uh, true friends of Jesus obey actively. True friends of Jesus obey actively. John 15 and verse number 14. You're my friends if ye do whatsoever I've commanded you. So the, all of these points, all five of these points are just kind of breaking down these, just, these couple of verses, just making sure we pick it apart and make sure we understand. True friends of Jesus obey actively. Some people think it's enough simply to avoid what the Bible forbids. They might say, I'm not a thief, an adulterer, or a liar. That would be like saying, I'm your friend because I do not rob you, insult you, or beat you up. Now although someone will certainly appreciate that you don't rob, insult, or injure them, we know that those things alone don't make for friendship. Friendship with Jesus is not just avoiding wrong things, but also actively doing right things. Second Timothy 2.22 says, flee also youthful lusts, but follow. So flee these things and follow. It's not only flee youthful lusts. This is where we think, oh man, I just really struggle in this area. Whether it's sexual lust, which is what's implied here, it's talking about sexual lust. flee also, youthful lusts, or anything kind of disobedience against God. It's not just saying I don't do that, but flee and follow. The law of replacement the law of replacement well I have these I have these friends and when I get around them I just start doing wrong things and and I just I just find it really hard to obey Jesus and 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 look um, what the Bible teaches us is you don't necessarily have to tell your friends no you just have to go follow the right kind of friends and that will take care of itself My pastor used to always say that you say look if you sell out this is what's his term if you sell out to Jesus if you completely follow him 100% those bad influences those friends will take care of themselves oh sorry i'm i'm busy i'm off to bible study you want to come hopefully they say yes but most of the time they're going to be like what no It's not, I'm going to be around people that try to drag me into youthful lust and I'm going to try to fight it. Heard a statement from a pastor one time and he said this. Temptation does not get tired. Temptation doesn't get tired. We get tired. If, if If you think you can outlast temptation, good luck. We're made of flesh. Temptation is not. We're the weak. We are weaker than the temptation. We cannot place ourselves in temptation and win. Well, you should run from the bad stuff. You also need to follow and pursue the good stuff. God wants you to be active in your obedience. What does God say we should do as a Christian to be active in our obedience? Raise your hand if you have a if you have something. I'll repeat the question. What does God say we should do as a Christian to be active in our obedience? If I'm actively obeying Christ, what are some things I can do that shows I'm actively obeying? Brother Braden, consistently read your Bible. What else? Drink coffee? Attend church. For sure. What else? Yes, please. Be kind, Mr. D. Mm-hmm. For sure. Honoring the Lord with your time, right? That's good. Yeah. Anything else? There's lots we could all say. Tons of things, right? But these are all actions that we're talking about. Notice we're not talking about feelings. Okay? God wants us to show our faith by actively obeying Him. Actively obey. Uh, Number three, true friends of Jesus obey continually. We call this faithfulness. He says, You're my friends if you do whatsoever I've command you. The word do in the verse, in in the Greek, means to continually do it. It doesn't mean just to do it once. I'm going to follow Jesus once. It means, look, um, someone comes to church on Sunday, and they think, okay, I'm going to I'm going to have a relationship with Jesus, and that's a start. That's great. That's fantastic. But what about the other six days? Doesn't mean you come to church all six days. It means you you're sensitive to what He wants, how you conduct yourself all six days. If we do that and we grow in this, we will see that our relationship with Jesus grows and grows and grows and grows. There are some Christians that just, you can tell, they love the Lord and they know the Lord. They know him. How how do we get to that place? How do we get to that place where we know him? Where we can pray and he answers our prayers. Where we're not tossed about constantly by what's going on in our lives and in the news. and It's just steady. We have to be sensitive to his commands. We're more sensitive. We're going to be, Lord willing, coming up on a series in September called Savior Sensitive. The Savior Sensitive Church and the Savior Sensitive Christian. We have to be more sensitive. to This culture is so sensitive. Right? We could make a huge list of things that everyone is sensitive about. And they're not, not necessarily bad things in some cases. Right? Uh, we had the kids camp. You know one of the questions on the survey? Do you have any peanut allergies? Why? Well, when I was a kid, there was no such thing as peanut allergies. <laughs> Honestly, a kid ate a Snickers bar and blew up like a balloon. You're weak. You're just weak. That's what we thought back in the day. And back in the 80s and 90s, peanut allergies did not exist. EpiPen. Right. I'm, I'm just poking fun. Right. I'm not making fun of anybody. Again, don't be sensitive. But the thing is, is that oftentimes the last person we're the most sensitive to is Christ, right? We 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 walk into we walk into a room and we look around. We make sure that we're we're so sensitive to everybody's feelings. We're so sensitive. God forbid you offer somebody a snack. God forbid you offer somebody a snack. You're like oh no. I've got a thing I can't eat that. I'm so sorry, so sensitive again, I'm not being sensitive right now. I'm just over dramatizing how sensitive we can be in culture, okay again, none of those things are wrong. point is, is that we have to make sure we're the most sensitive to christ if we're if we learn to be more sensitive to him and what he wants, our relationship would grow. When we fail, and we will fail, repent, get up, and keep going. The just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. The just man, the Christian, the justified one. falleth. It's a declarative statement. The just man does fall seven times. It does happen right? Oh, I've lost my salvation. That's not possible. Okay. Just people, those of us who have been justified, we we are born again. We've trusted Christ as our savior. Are we going to fall? We will. What do we do? We get back up. Ask God to forgive us. Truly mean it in our heart. Please forgive me. I really am sorry. Please help me. I will look for your grace. I will ask for your help. So I can avoid that temptation next time. And we will go on. We must learn to yield to the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 says to be filled with the Spirit. That's a command. Be filled with the Spirit. Again, what does that mean? It means be sensitive to Christ. That's really what it's talking about. Be sensitive to him. Be sensitive. Again, if we have a friend we know has a peanut allergy... And we're with them all the time or even if we know in the future we're going to be with them and whatever It's like, look, I'm not going to pack a peanut butter jelly sandwich and wash it down with a peanut butter milkshake with a, with a Snickers bar for a dessert. Why? Well, come on. What kind of friend would do that? Welcome, guys. Come on in. You're good. Right. What kind of friend would do that? By the way, peanut butter is delicious. OK, whatever, your, whatever, whatever, whatever vegetable you you hate. How come no one's ever allergic to that? Right. Uh, I'm ne- is someone is, is a, ch- a, a chocolate allergy a thing? Is that possible? Praise God. Now, maybe so. <laughs> Pastor, you're not being sensitive. I'm sorry. OK, number four, true friends of Jesus obey even in the smallest matters. This is kind of a repetition of First Samuel 15:22. And we'll tie, for sake of time, we'll tie number five in there, too. True friends of Jesus obey because they want to, not because they have to. Do you do Christian things because you want to? Now, let's be honest. You don't always want to. Amen. So, even in the small things, even in the big things, uh, there's no such thing as a Christian that always wants to obey him. Okay. So we say, Oh, I don't really want to. I'm just being honest with myself and with, and with others. I don't want to. So I'm not going to. Is that okay? No. Okay. So how do we fix that? How do we get, how do we get to the point where we want to again? We just go back to the fact that he says, if you love me, Oh, that's where it stops. God wants me to act this way, do this thing, be sensitive to him. I don't want to. But why do we? Why should we? How can we? How can we move past that? What's the question we have to ask ourselves? Do you love me? Do you love me? Uh, Has your friend ever asked, look, you want to know who your real friends are? Ask. Think in your mind right now. Who can I ask to help me move? (laughs) Amen. This is just my opinion. Your real friends? You know they're going to say yes. And you can have good friends that be like, no, don't ask me that, right? <laughs> the fact is, is that sometimes a friend asks us to do something and we don't really want to do it. But because they're our friend, we're like, okay, I'll do it for you. You're my friend. Let's go. Let's do it. Kind of like when me and brother Dan looked at each other and said, I don't really know if I want to go on the next big roller coaster." It's true, isn't it? But because Dan's my friend... And he's new to this country. I thought, no, I have a responsibility to show It's Canada's Wonderland. Right? Amen. So let's do Leviathan, which is a big roller coaster. I'm not going to tell you what he said. I went off. I went off. I went off. I went off. You should have prayed in Spanish, brother. I wouldn't have known what you said. Yeah, for sure. True friends obey Jesus because they want to. It's a heart of willingness and a heart of love. If we, if we allow the Holy Spirit to remind us and ask us that question, do you love, do you love Jesus? Okay. It's, it's the same thing that we would, that, that we would ask ourselves when a friend asks us to do something like moving or whatever the thing is that we may not necessarily want to do. You, listen, you mean a lot to me. So though I don't really want to do this because you mean a lot, this relationship means a lot, then I'm going to go ahead and do it. Remember, when Peter failed, Jesus, and Jesus came back to him and began to ask him some questions. What did he ask him over and over and over again to get Peter back on track? Peter, lovest thou me? How can we, how can we fail the Lord and come back? How can we sometimes not do the small things and come back and repent? How can we wander away from the Lord and go into sin and then come back? Well, like the prodigal son, he knew the father was there waiting with his arms wide open. But when he saw his son afar off, he ran. He ran. We love him because he first loved us. That's why we follow. That's why we have a relationship with him. And when you fail him and you begin to doubt yourself or you know he wants you to do something and you don't want to do it and maybe you don't do it. And the Holy Spirit began to ask you that question, sometimes in a church service, sometimes in the quietness of a moment. Do you love me? It draws us back. As the Apostle Paul said, the love of Christ constraineth me. Why did the Apostle Paul do so much for Christ? Partially because he loved him. He knew that Jesus loved him. There is nothing stronger than love. This is the deepest reason to follow Christ. We're talking about obeying his commands and following him. You think, man, it just sounds like a bunch of rules. It's not. It's not rules. Not if you're doing it out of heart of love for the Lord. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. When you are in love with someone, you naturally want to do things that would please him or her. You buy a gift because you want to. You do things for the person because of your deep love, not out of fear of what he or she will do if you don't. Without question, that is the highest motivator for serving God, doing what you do because you love him. The, the verses there on your notes, 2 Corinthians five fourteen. for the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, verse 15. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Read you a little story and we'll be done. In his, best, in his book, The Best Kept Secret of Christian Mission, John Dixon writes about his introduction to the Christian faith. So he's from Australia, Australian Christian. And he writes this little story. He says, under God, my own conversion was the result of one person's willingness to embody the mission of the friend of sinners. One of the relics of Australia's Christian heritage is the once a week scripture lesson offered in many state high schools around the country. I don't think they do this anymore, but back then they did. One of these scripture teachers, Glenda was her name, had the courage to invite my entire class to her home for discussions about God. The invitation would have gone unnoticed, except that she added, if anyone gets hungry, I'll be making hamburgers, milkshakes, and scones. As I I would go. As I looked around the room at all my friends, all skeptics like me, I was amazed that this woman would open her home and kitchen to us. Some of the lads were among the worst, quote, sinners in our school. One was a drug user and drug dealer. One was a class clown and bully. And one was a petty thief with a string of breaking and entering charges to his credit. I could not figure Brenda out. She was wealthy and intelligent. She had an exciting social life, married to a leading Australian businessman. What was she thinking? inviting us for a meal and discussion. At no point was this teacher pushy or preachy. Her style was completely relaxed and incredibly generous. When her VCR, which some of us know what that is, went missing one day, she made almost nothing of it, even though she suspected quite reasonably it was someone from our group. For me, her open, flexible Generous attitude toward us, quote, sinners, was the doorway into a life of faith. As we ate and drank and talked, it was clear this was no missionary ploy on her part. She truly cared for us and treated us like friends, or perhaps more accurately, like sons. As a result, over the course of the next year, she introduced several of us from the class to the ultimate friend of sinners, Jesus. How could she do that? How could she have a relationship with people that she probably didn't have a lot in common with and eventually introduced them to Christ because she had a relationship with Christ? Our relationship with Christ is not just for us. It's for this lost world. It's for our kids and it's for the people in our church. Everybody bow your heads, please close your eyes. We'll get ready for the next service.